Welcome, everyone, to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. And Kono Karuda! This is episode 95, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders High Priestess, part one. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode on anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. So we're moving into a new mini arc of Stardust Crusaders, um, one that freaks out my thalassophobia. Yeah, I figured it's the deep sea. We had another one uh, with the, the, the captain. With captain Crunch. Yeah, he had, <laughs> what was it, blue, not blue moon, dark moon, dark blue moon. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I didn't realize there were two aquatic themed arcs in this first half, unless you count strength. Um, yeah, but of... like neither of those were like, deep sea and to be fair there's nothing super uh triggering i guess for my thalassophobia in this episode but just knowing that they're down deep into the ocean um is a little is a little nerve-wracking yeah i can see that i'm just glad to see the whole gang back together again because this is their their first outing after they reunite with avdol um and it's right before they get to egypt so it's a win-win, but of course, you know, they always have to face an obstacle in whatever leg of the journey they're on. Well, before we dive into, no pun intended, before we dive into the episode, we have a very special patron to welcome, and that's Chris L. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Thank you for becoming a patron, Chris. Yes, and thank you, Chris, so much for your support of the podcast. It certainly will help us stay afloat. Yay! <laughs> yes, thank you so much, Chris. We appreciate um, you being a patron and all the support that you show for the Strictly series. And if any of you guys would like to support the show as well and get access to things like our bonus episodes and our pre-shows, uh, even see our show, our show schedule so you can see what's coming up for the month, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series. And I have one piece of JoJo news for this week. I think we talked several episodes ago about part one of JoJo, Phantom Blood, being adapted into a musical. And so there was news recently, or I have this article from Anime News Network that says JoJo's Bizarre Adventure stage musical reveals cast and costume visuals, of course, in reference to Phantom Blood. Uh so this article shows, I guess, headshots of some of the actors who will be playing the roles, like the main roles in part one for its musical adaptation. I think the most interesting one is that the notable Japanese VA Mamoru Miyano will be playing Dio. Of course he is. Of course Mamoru <laughs> Miyano is. Like I, I'm like surprised, but not surprised. Yeah, I think he, he has he doesn't have like Takehito Koyasu's voice, but he does have that sort of sinister tone when it comes to some of the characters, like the antagonists that he plays. And so I don't know if this will ever be recorded or um, uploaded as a video online, but I would love to see his interpretation of Dio. Uh, and of course, we have a picture of him and his his blonde wig, which kind of looks like it's almost falling off of his head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's one interesting thing to know about, about this musical. Uh, I think they have two different people playing uh, Jonathan Joestar, the 
main JoJo for this part. Um, I do recognize one of them, uh, Yuya Matsushita. Uh, I think he sang the ED from Durarara, the one that you added to our anime Spotify playlist. Yeah, that was a really good ED. But besides the visuals, the article mentions that the musical will debut in Tokyo's Imperial Theater on February 6th through February 28th. It will then run at Hokkaido Sapporo Cultural Arts Theater, Hitaru, from March 26th to 30th, and Hyogo Performing Arts Center, Kobelko Grand Hall, from April 9th to 14th. I would say, like, honestly, I'm surprised that it's taken this long for a JoJo stage play adaptation to be put together. Because I've seen some for uh, other anime. I think recently there was one for Spirited Away, which I know that kind of took a while too since it came out in 2001. Also one for Attack on Titan. Um, So I don't know if there's like this trending thing in like the Japanese musical scene where they're starting to adapt more anime into stage plays. I feel like stage plays, I don't know, like that would work a little bit better than some of the live action. Just because when you go to a stage play, you expect overacting, not in a bad way, but like, you know, very mm-hmm. grand acting. Like that's that's the, the typical performance style. So I feel like that fits anime a little bit better. But I don't know. Would, would you go to see this? It depends on the music because um, I'm assuming – It'll be original music written for this uh, adaptation. Um, If the music doesn't hit right or if it just seems like it's too over the top and maybe a little too cringy, I I would probably give this a pass. But the the one thing that's holding me to it is to see how Mamoru Miyano does as Dio. And also if, you know, they, they just happen to include somewhere, maybe in the the what do you call it like the uh, not the encore but like at the end where you know the cast comes out um to receive the audience's applause and standing ovation if after that they play sono chino sadame or they perform that i think that would be a great way to incorporate the anime um into the musical i feel like mamoru miyano is such a like such a theater kid Yes. So this seems like (laughs) a perfect thing for him, perfect fit for him. So, of course, we will share this article from Anime News Network about the JoJo Part 1 musical on our Discord. So if you are not a member of our Discord, the link to that is in the description. So diving, I'm going to keep up with this pun, not pun. Um, Diving back into the episode, High Priestess Part 1. I have to say... This episode was actually really fucking good. <laughs> like, really good. I know I said in the last Strictly JoJo episode that I barely remember the High Priestess arc, which is still true. Um, but to my surprise, re-experiencing this first part, I loved it. I think it's because it gives us a rare glimpse into the Joestar home life. It also mm-hmm. shows us Jotaro's character development. And it reminds us that this isn't like some boys trip right like as much as we say like it's the boys it's the crusaders like you know whatever um it's still a serious adventure with an important goal um so we get a lot of bro moments and they're great i love them and we still get some too in in the high priestess arc i think with the next episode but 
it is nice to have those moments where we we need to stop and just remind ourselves like this is to save Holly's life. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, there were not many things in this half of the High Priestess arc that I remember. I think most of them are from the from part two, which we'll cover in the next episode. Uh, but seeing, like you said, seeing um, Irina, not Irina, Susie Q. Yeah, <laughs> oh I was God. like, what? <laughs> I'm still thinking of part one. But uh, seeing Susie Q have a cameo in this episode was you know, just a great way to see the other side of the coin and see how you know, the things that are happening with Holly, although she's not fully privy to what's happening to Holly, like how that is sort of affecting um, other aspects of the Joestar family. And like I said earlier, it's just great to see the the five, right? There's five of them. Jotaro, Joseph, Kakuin, yeah, Polnareff. Yeah, Abdul. And then Iggy will make six. So seeing the five of them uh, back together for this one last trip t- before they reach Egypt. Um, that was a treat. I will say with High Priestess, I was expecting, you know, like, since this is, I think the High Priestess arc is the conclusion of part one of Stardust Crusaders, which is the journey to Egypt. Although these aren't the last episodes where the stands are inspired by the major tarot cards. Um, I think two remaining ones are card zero, which is the full which is Iggy's stand. And then, of course, card 21, which is the world, which is uh, Dio's stand. Uh, but, you know, despite there's sort of being like a finality with the first half of part three being covered in this last arc, uh, I don't think High Priestess was like too, too threatening of a stand. And it kind of felt like something that we saw in the earlier half of this of this first half of Stardust Crusaders. I actually disagree. I feel like High Priestess is really threatening because of how much the Crusaders were panicking. Given their situation being deep down in the ocean, they can't escape, and like how like uncontrollable High Priestess is, I actually felt like there was this this really good sense of dread throughout the episode. Yeah, I guess I can see like with the setting that they're in the deep sea and there's no escape. Um, I see like that sort of being like a, a very dangerous situation to be in. Maybe, maybe it's just more so that the ability of the stand feels like something that we've seen before where it's it's an enemy in disguise. It's kind of like it gives me the same vibes as what was the doll that attacked Polnareff in the hotel room? I think it was the, the devil. Yes, it? that's yeah. the one that like this reminds me of. Yeah, or some in some ways, um, yellow temperance. He, I mean, he kind of used a disguise to yeah. throw off Jotaro's scent as pretending to be Kakuin. So I think that's where it's mostly like I, I would have loved to see a really big threat before the Crusaders enter Egypt. Um, but I think to your point about the the setting, I think in in some ways it's still a very credible, very dangerous threat. All right, JoJo fans, time to let this arc sink in as we crusade into our synopsis and discussion for Part 3, Episode 23, High Priestess, Part 1. The boys hop aboard their yellow submarine, their last major leg of their lengthy and arduous goal to walk like an Egyptian. All the while, Josephu puts up with waifu Suzy Q's Suzy Q&A about their daughter, 
unaware that she is slowly becoming less holly and more hollow. Just as the boys are about to pass the You Are Now Entering Egypt sign, the geriatric Joestar is suddenly attacked by a floating coffee mug that turns into a bargain bin Halloween mask, which turns out to be none other than their next enemy stand, the shape-shifting shyster known as High Priestess. The enemy stand's antics cause the yellow submarine to literally sink to a new low, forcing the Crusaders to barricade themselves in a separate room. But not before Jotaro tries to have a staring contest with High Priestess in a bid to vote her off the vessel, and further confuses the shit out of Suzy Q with a phone call that he should have let gone to voicemail and leaving her to take a trip to Tokyo to track down the truth herself. As the group tries to pull out an escape plan a la Joseph's Book of Brilliant Strategies, High Priestess lurks in the depths of the murk, ready to once again go berserk. All things considered, thankfully the submarine wasn't operated by Ocean Gate. And now onto our next segment of the show, is that a music and or tarot reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So we have three references in this episode, two that are related to music and one related to tarot cards. Uh, the first is with Suzy Q and Joseph's chauffeur and bodyguard, Roses, locally dubbed as Rosas. Rosas? <laughs> um, and this is a musical reference to Guns and Roses, an American hard rock band known for their stylistic mix of punk rock, blues rock, and heavy metal, which helped move mainstream rock away from the glam metal era of the mid to late 80s. They're probably best known for their album, Appetite for Destruction, considered one of the greatest albums of all time, with tracks like Welcome to the Jungle, Sweet Child of Mine, and Paradise City. The second reference we have in this episode is the tarot reference with High Priestess, the main enemy stand for this arc, that stand's name is a reference to High Priestess, the second card in the tarot deck that has an air of mystery, stillness, and passivity to it. High Priestess suggests that it is time to retreat and reflect upon the situation and trust your inner instincts to guide you through it. Things around you are not what they appear to be right now. And I think that's the case for the Crusaders as they try to pinpoint whatever disguise High Priestess currently dons um, in the submarine. Other attributes represented by this card include hidden talents, spiritual insight, and things yet to be revealed. And again, all of these contribute to the shape-shifting nature of the High Priestess stand. Last reference we have is a musical reference with the High Priestess's stand user, Midler, which is locally dubbed as Rose, which I guess is confusing because you have Roses, the chauffeur, then you have Rose, the enemy stand user. But anyways, Midler is a reference to Bette Midler, an American singer, actress, comedian, and author noted for her five-decade-spanning career and various film, TV, and music accolades. The localized name Rose is a reference to Midler's hit single, album, and film of the same name, The Rose which is a song that I fondly remember hearing in the indie cult classic Napoleon Dynamite in the Happy Hands club scene. I don't remember that. Though some say you love. Oh, it. yeah, yeah, okay. They're <laughs> using like, their hands to do like their choreography. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appears in this episode. 
I didn't catch any for this episode, but I'm like 99% certain that there's one that we'll talk about with High Priestess Part 2. But as always, if we missed any from High Priestess Part 1, reach out and let us know. So the episode starts off with the narrator giving us some educational info on the Red Sea. Um, we might as well just call him Narrator Sensei at this point because he's just teaching us. He pops in to teach us um, some some things about the world, about each country. Yeah, as if this series is a documentary, although he doesn't speak too often <laughs> as things are happening. After Narrator Sensei gives us our little uh, lesson there, we jump into um, the Crusaders on the submarine. Uh, Polnareff asks if Avdol can drive the sub, and we get another tisk tisk as he says, no problem. I guess this is Avdol's new personality trait, <laughs> overly confident. Um, and then Joseph says that he can also drive one, but then Jotaro chimes in saying he better not because they don't need to be crashing again. I'm like, oh my god. Well, he's right. He, he is right. That That's for sure. I mean, Jotaro or Joseph has a pretty terrible track record with crashing whatever vehicle he's in. And I know last episode I mentioned, uh, or I wondered if the Yellow Submarine were a reference to the Beatles song, Yellow Submarine. Um, so I did find a comparison photo between, I think it's the, maybe the album cover or um, image from the Yellow Submarine music video, as well as how the Yellow Submarine appears in this arc. Um, so we can share that on the Discord, and you can decide for yourself if you think it is a reference. Well, speaking of the submarine, the Crusaders are scoping out the sub, seeing all the bells and whistles and all the amenities that it has, and then Joseph suddenly remembers he needs to make a very important call. So we then flash over to Susie Q in their big-ass New York penthouse, who's picking out her outfit for the charity event sponsored by none other than New York Mayor Smokey Brown. Yeah. Although I think the real mayor was Ed Koch. Oh. <laughs> Coach. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, yeah, nice callback to part two there. As well as earlier, right before this scene, uh, Kakyoin grabs a Coca-Cola from the fridge, which is the same soda brand uh, that appears on the bottle that Joseph uses to attack those cops in part oh, two. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of part two references in this scene. And we love that shit. We love anytime JoJo calls back to any previous parts. Um, it's just those references are, are so nice because it, you know, it's like bringing things full circle. It's like it really feels like everything's interconnected, not only with like the lineage, but with the world around them. So then Susie Q um, says that she talked to Holly yesterday and then says that uh, Holly informed her about her cold that has now turned into pneumonia. Or that's the story that Holly's telling Susie Q. And then um, on the side, you have Avdol talking to the Crusaders, telling them that Susie Q is being kept in the dark about Holly's situation so as not to make her worry. But I also like to think that it's for Suzy Q's safety because she's part of the Joestar family. Can you, If you imagine that Suzy Q goes off to find Holly or whatever, if Holly's in danger, I imagine Suzy Q could be in danger. Or like stand users attract other stand users. Holly's technically a stand user. So if a, mm -hmm. an enemy stand user finds Holly, could that person also attack Suzy Q? That also makes you wonder why enemy stand users aren't already 
being attracted to Holly at this moment. Yeah, maybe it's like her stand itself is just so weak that they can't sense mm-hmm. her, or maybe the Speedwagon Foundation has that shit on lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, but I want to kind of dwell on what Avdal is saying in this scene uh, because you know he's saying that Joseph's worried that Susie will visit Holly in Japan, and then I think he says, and discover the truth. Of course, I think the the significant truth is that Holly is is sick because of the, the effect that the stand is having on her body. But then I wonder, like, which truth, though, in Japan? Oh, you're referencing <laughs> uh, good old part four. <laughs> yes, because something happens in 1983 that could also have an effect on what Hol- or what Susie sees in Japan in 1989 when this takes place. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So we think that Rose Roses knew like knew about the affair. <laughs> yeah, I didn't consider. Yeah, uh, Rose is the chauffeur. Because if I remember correctly, and we'll have to, I guess you know, when we come across this at the start of part four, I know that Jotaro was doing something with the family inheritance or whatever, and that's how he discovered that there's another son out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just love thinking about how. So wait, doesn't that make Josuke Jotaro's uncle? Yeah, I think that they talked about that. In yeah, part. I just love that. I think that's so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, maybe the, Roses is also referencing the affair because it seems like Roses is a is a confidant of of Joseph's. Like he seems mm-hmm. to be in the know, but he could just be in the know about this trip because Joseph's gone for quite a while. Um, for like what a month or two? I can't remember the, the total time the the time frame that they have. They mentioned it in the previous episode. Um... It's been oh wait two weeks since Avdol's initial demise, so before that, I would say it's been about a month. Stardust Crusaders is fifty days, okay, so just under two months. Yeah. So I mean that's a long time, a significant amount of time to be away from your wife, and like, you know, there's a lot going on, and Joseph needs roses to kind of keep keep things hush hush from Susie Q. Um, and and to your point, roses kind of wonders if it's time to tell Susie Q the truth because I think she's smarter than she lets on and she's she's been around the Joe Stars long enough even before she met Joseph um to kind of know like what's what what the truth is um but when Roses asks Joseph that you can see he's got like a pained look on his face as he's considering it but ultimately tells Roses no because it would stress Susie Q out and he wants Holly to go back to living her normal life. So I'm, I'm guessing what he means is if Susie Q knows that her daughter's life is at stake, is she going to be treating Holly different after this journey? Is she going to be, you know, like overly concerned about her or, you know, want her to, to come back to America or whatever because she's worried about something else happening to her when Joseph just really wants Holly to go back to her simple, quiet, comfortable life? As you're saying that, I'm thinking of parallels now between Joseph and Jotaro wanting to keep their family um, away from like the truth of what's happening. Uh, because you know, with Jotaro, he tried to keep Jolene in the dark about stands and and such in Part Six. So I don't know if like you know if Jotaro was listening to this, although I doubt he was really listening <laughs> to his grandfather. <laughs> 
in this moment, but maybe it lingered in the back of his mind about how Joseph tried to keep Susie Q uh, safeguarded from the truth. And if he tried to apply that in the same situation with Jolene, however, of course, we know that kind of backfired. Yeah, I think it's like Jotaro, after having a child, probably realizes what what it meant to Joseph seeing Holly being attacked by a stand. Um, so, I mean, he doesn't even activate Jolene's stand until it's a dire situation, you know, through mm-hmm. the, the shard, the arrow shard that he, you know, has her hold on to in the prison. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, guess, I'm guessing it's just like when he has his own child, he probably is reflecting on what happened with Holly and the fact that he's been around long enough in this world of stands to know that stand users attract other stand users. He needs to separate himself from the family in order to protect his family because as long as they don't have stands, no one will come after them, supposedly. But after finding out from Abdul, you know, that Joseph is keeping everything a secret from Susie Q, the, the Crusaders rally behind Joseph, saying that they're sorry that he has to keep all this a secret and worry about Holly, and they're going to do everything that they can to defeat Dio. And he thanks them in a very serious manner. So it's a nice moment of, like, camaraderie, a nice moment of uh, the Crusaders coming together and just remembering why they're doing what they're doing, why they're going on this journey together. Yeah, such a great bromance between the five of them. But then it cuts right from that nice uh, scene straight to Polnareff driving the sub, and he immediately bangs it against a rock. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, then after that, a loud sound happens, and Avdol assumes it's Polnareff, so he gets pissed at him. And he's like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Uh, so yeah, that that, uh, that dynamic there is great. Let's, let's go from very serious, somber moment to Polnareff crashing the sub. Yeah, imagine if Polnareff were on the Titan. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. So then the Crusaders share another bonding moment when they realize they're close to Egypt, and then Polnareff comments about how it's been a while since the five of them were together like this. It's a moment of happiness where you're almost letting your guard down a little bit because the Crusaders are letting their guard down a little bit, but all that is short-lived. When Jotaro notices there's an extra coffee mug on the table, Joseph grabs one to drink out of it, and it immediately attacks him by slicing off his prosthetic hand and flinging the metal fingers at his neck. I'm like, what the fuck? It went from like zero to a hundred out of nowhere and catches the Crusaders completely off guard when they assumed no one could possibly sneak on board. I love, love this introduction for High Priestess. This was wild. Well, I think we kind of knew something was up with the coffee mugs because right before this, Kakyoin just happens to know, oh, there are exactly five coffee mugs for each of us in the right. submarine. Yeah, like he, he notes that earlier. And, you know, of course, the, the loud bang that happens on the submarine right before that, we see like from first person view, like something swimming in the water towards the submarine. Oh, so we I know. Didn't, I didn't notice that actually. <laughs> we know that like there's a stand coming, but the time between Jotaro noticing the sixth coffee mug and then when it actually attacks Joseph is so short. It's like, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, there's an extra coffee mug. Boom, it's already attacking mm-hmm. Joseph. So there were hints that something was coming. But once you start to realize what Jotaro's realizing, it's already too late. This also reminds me of, again, I, I think there are connections between part three and part six. Uh, that episode of part six, Stone Ocean, called There's Six of Us. 
where oh it yeah was, <laughs> i think um foo fighters right that was her soft introduction i think so yeah yeah i don't know parallel there or maybe you know araki didn't realize that <laughs> there was a, a a mystery around six things appearing <laughs> in both part three and part six so right after Joseph gets attacked, the first person to call out to Joseph is Jotaro. He, he looks fucking pissed and he's panicked. Um, and then he tries to attack the enemy stand that almost killed his grandfather. Um, and it's just kind of, it's it's almost nice to see Jotaro be the first one to react and try to save Joseph because, you know, he's always shitting all over Joseph. <laughs> like he did earlier when he was like, no, you can't drive the sub. We're just going to crash again. But then Avdol interestingly knows exactly which enemy stand this is and even knows the stand user and knows that it's powerful and that the enemy stand user rose or midler um can use it from far away but doesn't explain how he knows all this i'm like if you knew all of this shit how did you not predict that the stand could infiltrate the sub but also like if you know all of this about an enemy stand user why don't you know about all of them or a significant number of them and like why didn't you tell everybody earlier <laughs> you know what i mean like it's just weird that he had this information and withheld it from the crusaders until after the stand actually attacked mm, i mean joseph kind of has him with the group as a source of intel right about the, the enemy stands yeah, like he um, understands like the tarot cards and the world of stands because he, I think he was born into it. He was born with his stand. Mm -hmm. But again, it's like if you knew about, you know, High Priestess and about Midler, why wouldn't you brief the, the Crusaders earlier saying, hey, I know about this one enemy stand and this is the stand user. We may come across this person during our journey. Yeah. I don't know if it's because like, at, while he was on hiatus, he didn't know which enemy stands had been eliminated. Although I'm sure that would have been a conversation he had with the Crusaders before they entered the sub or whatever. Yeah. Um, so like, like by process of elimination, you can determine who's like yeah who's remaining um, in the enemy stand users that are based around tarot cards. Yeah, I don't know. I just it's weird to me that Avdol didn't tell them ahead of time that would have been good information to know <laughs> and with him saying it entered the sub through a hole do you think that's the hole that polnareff like made when he crashed maybe <laughs> <laughs> so in the midst of the crusaders panicking because they're being attacked by an enemy stand user they didn't think could come on board the the submarine someone keeps calling them and then finally, Jotaro decides to answer it. And of course, it's Suzy Q. She thinks she's talking to Joseph and asks what all the commotion is. But then Jotaro says that Joseph can't talk right now, but reassures her that he's with him and that he'll be okay. And this, I think, is the first time Jotaro has spoken to someone with care and respect. At least by his standards. <laughs> mm. By his standards, it's like one of the first times, I think. Um, and... I'm guessing it's the scare of almost losing Joseph in the moments right before this, um, plus the fact that they may not make it out of the sub alive, because I think earlier in the episode, Jotaro actually comments saying there's nowhere to run if they happen to get attacked. Uh, but I think all of this forces Jotaro to mature in this moment. He needs to, like, cover for Joseph 
while also protecting Susie Q from possibly finding out the truth. Like he's protecting his comrades. He's protecting the Crusaders because Joseph, who normally is, you know, the adult in the situation and normally knows how to get out of these things, he's passed out. So now it's time for Jotaro to be the responsible one. And interestingly, he does it all while there's fucking chaos around him. I figured it was just because Susie Q is the matriarch of the family that that's why he would speak to her with such respect. But then I'm thinking he doesn't treat his mother with respect when he <laughs> talks to her and calls her a bitch. Exactly, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I see how he kind of steps up in a situation. Maybe it's that's a testament to Jotaro's uh, character development throughout this part. Um, it's just funny that, he, you know, he doesn't c- explain why he's on the phone talking to Suzy Q and just tells her, oh, you know, everything's fine. Everything's swell. <laughs> and you don't have any reason why you're answering the phone instead of Joseph. Yeah, don't mind the blaring alarm and the sounds of water right. in the background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I also kind of wonder if maybe you know, through all this talk about Holly and everything, maybe it's like Jotaro reflecting on how he's treated his mom until this point. Mm. And it's like a chance for him to start treating his family better. Because clearly he's like the one who's most distraught about Joseph being knocked unconscious and all this stuff. Um, And then he's talking somewhat nicely to Susie Q, even though Susie Q comments like, I haven't heard your voice in so long. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, I like to, these are my headcanon things, right? Like I like to think these are all aspects of Jotaro's character development that we're seeing over the course of um, Stardust Crusaders, but in particular with this episode. Uh, but then we get Polnareff, who breaks attention yet again and shouts, oh my God, before they hit rock bottom. <laughs> Stealing Maybe, Joseph's phrase. Yeah, he's also stepping in for Joseph when Joseph's knocked out. But then speaking of Joseph, um, I think, oh wait, no, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Well, I'll say that when it when it comes to that. But then Jotaro, before we get to the eye catch, says that he's never riding in a submarine ever again because of all this chaos. But then I think to myself, he becomes a marine biologist. He's got mm-hmm. to be in a sub at another point, right? Well, yeah, it, it's ironic because I think, again, there are so many things in this episode that make me think of part six. His body was evacuated in a submarine provided by the Speedwagon Foundation. Oh, that's right. When yeah. they had to retrieve him from Green Dolphin Street Prison. So he, so he did, he did end up in a submarine <laughs> again. <laughs> so that leads us to the eye catch for High Priestess. And so the stand stats for High Priestess are destructive power at C, speed at B, range at A, durability at A, precision and accuracy at D, and development potential at D. And we see in the eye catch the full manifestation of High Priest the Stand. Shows that it's mostly a, a tribal mask, almost with slight kabuki characteristics. But according to Jojo Viller, which is that uh, Jojo publication, um, and I think art collection as well. Uh, the design for High Priestess was inspired by traditional outfits for African magic. So kind of contributing to the mystical quality and mysterious quality of this stand. 
Jumping back into the episode, um, I feel like, and this is another reason why I love this episode so much, I feel like the bond between the Crusaders keeps growing, and this is another example of it, because as they're battling High Priestess, um, we see that it's, it's it's speed is insane, right? Like, they're freaking out about how fast this thing is, but Star Platinum is still able to grab a hold of it um, when Jotaro says, like, apparently it's still not as fast as Star Platinum. So then Polnareff tells Jotaro to show no mercy. And Jotaro's like, aye, aye, sir. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so interesting to think that Jotaro would respond so positively to Polnareff, but they've spent so much time together that they've formed this bond. Because it does remind me of... Okay, what? who was it that was talking to Jotaro during the Captain Crunch episode, Dark Blue Moon, when... No, no, Jotaro says to somebody, like, say something to this dude or whatever and, like, gives a thumbs down. I think when, like, they defeated him or they were fighting him, I'm recalling this very poorly. In part three? Yeah. He was like, Kakyoin or Avdol or something, say something. And then, like, that person responded. Okay, I found it. It's on Reddit. Someone um, posted in sh- our ship post Crusaders. When Jotaro can't think of one-liners, he asked the people next to him, and it's... Uh, it, I think it is the Dark Blue Moon episode, and Jotaro has his thumb pointed down. He's like, Avdol, say something. But then it also shows the part four reference when he tells Josuke to say something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because I know that um, he was telling Josuke to say something cool. But yeah. He also says t- tells Avdol to say something cool. Yeah, I can't remember what Avdol says, but yeah, so I'll I'll share I'll share the link to this um Reddit post in the Discord so you guys can see the I guess this is technically a meme. Um but anyway, the reason I bring that up is because um Jotaro is usually the one, I guess, that tells somebody else to say something, but now he's receptive to Polnareff telling him to say something and he's, or to show no mercy. And he's like, aye, aye, sir. There's almost just like that little bit of like subordinate type of behavior from Jotaro. Like someone's telling him to do something and he reacts positively to it versus like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I think that's why I like that it was, that stood out to me. Um, and then on top of that, when High Priestess turns into a razor and cuts Jotaro's hand, Kakyoin says, oh my God, it even outsmarted Jotaro. So again, it's like mm-hmm. these little things where the Crusaders have built these bonds and are very supportive of each other versus like not working together or, you know, shitting all over each other. I was thinking, is Jotaro saying someone else to say something, an evolution of Joseph? line of now you'll say maybe yeah <laughs> but it's more yeah Joe or Jotaro is just more commanding of someone to to say something as the fight against high priestess continues it like jumps over at Polnareff who then drops Jotaro into the water because Polnareff's been carrying jo- Joseph on his back and then poor Joseph wakes up from that like imagine waking up because you're about to drown in all the water that's like pooling at the bottom of the submarine but he wakes up and he's like, what the fuck is happening? This looks really bad. And then Jotaro immediately responds by saying, shut up, GG. And I'm like, what the fuck? He never misses an opportunity to talk back to his grandpa. Even though just a couple minutes ago, he showed concern for him. But I think it's because Joseph is is fully conscious now that Jotaro tries to hide that. I completely agree. I, I was thinking it's kind of like Jotaro's subtle way of showing that he's relieved that Joseph is okay. 
because if Joseph were still unconscious, he would be very like concerned about Joseph surviving this attack. But then Joseph's like awake and he's he's talking just fine. So Jotaro's like, okay, he's fine. I can still I can still yell at him. <laughs> but Jotaro at this point is pissed because he got outsmarted by the stand. Um, and it it feels very similar to when he got pissed at the lovers, uh, that yeah. stand user, and when he like planned his revenge. So here he's telling High Priestess that he'll be the one to defeat it. And I'm like, this is this is it. The High Priestess's fate is sealed. <laughs> or what does he say? I, Jotaro Kujo, will end you myself. Yeah, like, holy wow, shit. What a threat. <laughs> then the Crusaders escape to the other side of the submarine. And Jotaro fills Joseph in on what's been going on while he was unconscious. Um, and then Joseph's like, bro, why the fuck did you answer that call from Suzy Q? And then Joseph says that he has a plan to escape because he's been in this situation before. And I was like, what? Yeah, what situation? Right? I was thinking of him just saying, Nigerunda, yo. Yeah. <laughs> but they're on a sub. They have nowhere to run. I know. I'm like trying to think back to like, was there ever a part in part two where he was on like a sea vessel and had to escape like this? Or even any like tight area like that where he needed to escape i don't recall yeah i don't either i think we should revisit this when we do watch part two of the high priestess arc um, and kind of determine from there what joseph was referring to because yeah i don't know if it was something that we saw in part two or if he has a story that he tells in the next episode where he comes up with a similar plan here or maybe he's just referencing in general that he's gotten out of really sticky situations like this and luck is a skill for him so he'll be fine jumping back to suzy q we see that she's still suspicious as to why jotaro is with joseph and like what all that commotion was in the background during the phone call but she was just so happy to hear jotaro's voice again and she comments that she knows that jotaro's a lot to handle but that deep down he's a good person and cares about his family, which is just what Holly, exactly what Holly says about Jotaro all the time. Um, <laughs> so it just shows that Jotaro has not prioritized his family for most of his life, and it it definitely shows um, with these interactions. But we do see a picture of younger Jotaro smiling with Holly and with less lines on his face, maybe less stressed back then. Oh, see. The more lines he has, the more rebellious he gets. Yeah, that or the more, like, buff he gets. Um, and then the way Susie Q and Rose's talk about uh, what Jotaro and Joseph are doing right now shows that they know that these two Joestars would risk everything to do what's right. Susie Q knows, she knows this very well after meeting Joseph and spending so much time with him, so much time with Lisa Lisa, like she just knows the Joe stars inside and out. So that's why she's she has that feeling of confidence, even though she's concerned about what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, I think it just runs in the Joe Star blood, starting with Jonathan, the the forgotten Jojo. <laughs> Although we did commemorate him at the beginning of this episode with the part one musical. Um so yeah, I think it's in this or at this point in the story, I think Jotaro is starting to harbor more of that deep care for his family, even though, again, Suzy Q knew it from the get go that he would always have that trait. 
And the episode ends with the group talking about scuba. And then you have that really funny moment where Joseph is running rapidly yeah, in, what the in place. Was that like- <laughs> and then Jostro, who's like working on his equipment, is just like yada yada. It's just like nonsense. <laughs> and I love it so much. He was like really sped up. Yeah. There, <laughs> it's like- such a funny like little clip. I forget how old Joseph is in part three, but... Of course, I think it's the hamon that keeps him very active at his age. Well, I think they said that he stopped using hamon at a certain point so that he could age with Suzy Q. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, overall, the hamons, he still technically is using it because his stand summons hamon every time. In part three, he is 69 years old. Dang. So a 69-year-old warming up by running in place that that rapidly is, is amazing. <laughs> I'd love to do that when i'm 69 years old and then joseph asks for help um from jotaro because joseph is missing his hand and jotaro's like do it yourself (laughs) (laughs) like my god these two (laughs) and that is uh that where that's where part one leaves us off at and uh we'll jump right back into scuba lessons with part two you forgot to mention high priestess's cackle and her wide grin appearing in the deep blue sea Oh shit! You're right. Yeah, that's then. I okay, then it you, ends. <laughs> I figured you wanted to omit that because it's in the deep sea. Yeah, I can't <laughs> <laughs> imagine a huge grin right in front of your face while you, when you're scuba diving. I'm gonna have a harder time watching part two, <laughs> part two of the High Priestess arc. But that brings us to our final thoughts for part three, episode twenty-three, High Priestess, part one. So, did this episode give you a sinking feeling? I mean, kinda with my my thalassophobia, but, but overall, it's it's a really good episode, and it actually makes me wish that we had more opportunities to to peek into the lives of the Joe Stars outside of just you know what we get sporadically in part three. Um, I feel like we get a little more of that in part four. Maybe that's why part four, or one of the reasons why part four is my favorite part because it's more slice of life. You actually get to hear about the Joe Star. The Joestar's like family life, their you know their private ongoings, affairs and whatnot. Um, but it's it's nice to have an episode like this um, to remind us why all this is happening. Um, that there is a serious end goal, even though you know you're you're stuck in that enemy stand user of the week formula. It's all for good reason. It's all working towards something, um, and we're you know. We're approaching that something as the team is about to reach Egypt after this arc. But yeah, I, I would say this was a high intensity episode that for some reason I forgot about, but I'm kind of glad I partially forgot about it because it was really nice to re-experience it somewhat fresh, somewhat like all over again. And I have high hopes for High Priestess Part 2, um, but we'll see how that one holds up to to this episode and how much it'll trigger my fear of the sea. But what about you? What did you think about it? I thought this was a decent setup episode. That is a pleasure to watch just to see the whole gang back together again. Even if I feel like it's another rehash of the stand on a plane or on a train or on an automobile, or in this case, submarine, that sort of concept that we've seen many times before. I was especially happy to see Suzy Q appear in this episode as a cameo, despite her very limited screen time in part two, but it's an appearance that provides a new 
dynamic and perspective on the crusader's ultimate mission reminding us that there are other things at stake like a mother's love while joseph and jothro and the gang are fighting hard to save holly's life and speaking of cameos i liked that this episode was chock full of subtle references to part two and part six even which makes watching this episode a treat for eagle-eyed jojo fans as for the enemy of the week high priestess I feel like this enemy stand is a concept that we've seen before, as I mentioned previously with the stand on a vehicle concept, but also with other shape-shifting or manipulative stands like Yellow Temperance or the Lovers that we mentioned. So there doesn't feel like much of a surprise when High Priestess displays her horror-inspired elements. Horror-inspired? Oh, horror. Oh, I said horror. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe horror too, I don't know. But... Like Jotaro's declaration that he will end her life himself is one of those spine-tingling moments in JoJo, as with the receipt scene in The Lovers Part 2, that it makes me eager to see how High Priestess Part 2 unfolds and what the beatdown is going to look like. Because all I can remember from this arc is, I think it's Polnareff and Kakyoin's stupid handshake that they do right it's yeah. them two that do the handshake <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm excited for that that's another bro moment that you just you love to watch and with that join us next week for high priestess part two and thank you guys as always for tuning in subscribe to strictly jojo on your favorite podcast service join our discord to chat with us follow us on instagram at the strictly series on twitter at strictly series and check out our website thestrictlyseries.com if you'd like to support the show like our newest patron chris l then head over to patreon.com slash the strictly series antonin to strictly anime our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions all links are in the description thank you so much for listening and as always stay safe stay healthy stay weeb to be continued